I think that every position can be virtual, but I think certain positions are a little bit harder for the advisor to outsource to be virtual. Welcome to episode 82 of Your Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast to help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Our guest this week is Jen Pritchard, a full-time virtual paraplanner and operations consultant at Simply Paraplanner. She passed the CFP exam just three years ago and she's already crushing it. Straight ahead, you'll learn from Jen as she dives into the ins and outs of virtual planning, how to build strong relationships with virtual clients, and how to construct best practices and operational processes as a virtual company. Registration for the 2018 FPA NextGen Gathering has opened. Space is limited and the conference always sells out fast, so be sure to register today. Check the links in our show notes at fpaactivate.org for more information on the conference and registration. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jennifer. Yeah, thanks for having me. We were just talking beforehand and you have only been in business for three years, which just blows my mind because when <laughs> anytime I think of virtual planning, I think of you. When I first met you, you were working for four different firms virtually. Is that right? Yes, that's right. How did you get there? Like, how did you get <laughs> those four firms to sign up? And then what was that like? Well, so um, I actually, so I graduated from Texas Tech University with a degree in financial planning, um, and I kind of did some job hopping afterwards. <laughs> um, so the first year was kind of rough, um, and I reached out to one of the advisors that I ended up working for, um, and he's he was part of the XY Planning Network, and I saw kind of what he was doing, and I was like, this looks awesome. How do I do that? Um, so I reached out to him um, and kind of was just trying to get some insight into his path and how he um, how he got to where he was. And I kind of started a mentorship with, between me and him. And um, I kind of mentioned one day it would be really cool if I could actually work for someone like him um, or some, you know, other people in that um, XY kind of community. And him and his study group were actually looking to hire. Um, none of them could really hire full time. So they were looking to maybe hire someone where it'd be part-time for each of them, but then it would equal full-time for the person that they hire. So because I was already talking to him, it kind of made sense um, for me to connect with other advisors that were in his study group. Um, And so I I interviewed with all of them, uh, which was kind of a fun interview. It was very um, laid back and just kind of getting to know each other. And so that's kind of how I met all of them. And then they decided to hire me from there. So I went from working as a you know full-time in-person employee at a local firm to basically giving that up to go work for these advisors that were paying me hourly, um, hoping I'd get like 30 to 40 hours a week. <laughs> so, okay. So where are these advisors located around the country? So the advisors that um, I worked with, so I'm, I'm down to two now, but originally, um, so one of them is in Ohio, two are in California, and then one of them was in um, Oregon. Do they all have different processes or is there some continuity between them? The, right now, the two that I work with, um, their processes are pretty much the same. Um, and whenever I started working for all of them, they were they were sort of the same, but th- they didn't really have processes, I guess. So I don't know if you could say they were the same or different. So that was part of what I did when I came in is actually help them establish their processes. Um, and the idea was being that because they were all friends and they um, shared ideas already, if we could set everything up to where I do the same thing, no matter who I'm working with, then it makes them all more scalable and allow them to have more time to focus on their clients. So that's really interesting. So what I'm hearing, correct me <laughs> if I'm wrong, you basically created these processes for them, um, right? Sort of. I mean, it was in conjunction with 
like then, like we would, we would meet weekly and I'd be like, Hey, I thought of this process. What do y'all think? And then we would make tweaks, but yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, is that when you're, whenever you're by yourself processes, I mean, it's good to have processes and it's good to have them established, but most people don't do that. Most people don't get those in place until they actually hire someone. So we went through a whole, I mean, we're still working on processes to today, but that first six months was really figuring out how do we set this up to where it's easy for me to work virtually um, without having to go back and forth on a lot of things and for without there being a lot of confusion. Okay. So processes do not come naturally for me like at all. Like, I've been pretty open with that. So did you learn like how to build up processes through like through your Texas tech program or is it just like an on the job skill or are you just blessed <laughs> to just know how to do it? Well, I think part of it. So whenever I was job hopping, um, one of the companies that I worked with had really good processes. Um, and so that kind of helped me realize that how important they were. Um, and so whenever I went into this, I was like, I was so used to kind of having those in place that um, not having anything kind of drove me crazy. So I don't think that I'm the the best at creating them, but I do think that I know what I want the outcome to be. So it makes it easier for me to create them. I don't enjoy necessarily, you know, sitting down and putting workflows into Redtail, but I do enjoy creating the process, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. <laughs> so I like, it's basically in order for me to be sane and be able to work with all these different advisors virtually, I needed processes in place. So it was kind of just, it just happened naturally, I think. So like, what type of work are you doing with these advisors? Like, is it planning work, client services? Are you talking with clients? So it's changed over time. So um, when I originally started, I was doing a lot of um, kind of paraplanner admin type work. So I spent a long time kind of organizing all of their files, um, you know, spent a long time created, creating the processes, doing account paperwork. Um, and I was communicating with clients from the beginning, but mostly through email. Um, and then I think about... It wasn't that long. It may have been like three months in, I started sitting in on client meetings, um, which are done virtually. So one of the advisors that I work with only works with clients virtually. So it made it really easy for me to be able to kind of sit in on client meetings because um, we just did, you know, did it through the camera versus being in person. So I've kind of transitioned from paraplanner, data entry, account paperwork, that kind of role and to like an associate. Um, and I didn't drop off on the paraplanner admin stuff because I am the only employer. I was the only employee. So I was just adding on and doing more associate work. So actually creating plans, presenting some of the topics in the client meetings um, and being kind of a relationship manager with the client. And now um, I, I think the goal this year is going to be kind of taking on my own clients in 2018. So it's been kind of a, um, a quick transition, but I've gone through all those stages. <laughs> yeah. Like that's a normal career path, you know, if we were to say there is a normal career <laughs> right. financial planning and to do it within three years, I mean, that that's just crazy to me. Like that, that's really cool. I don't know if being virtually is what kind of helped speed it up, but I, I work with some amazing advisors and they're super encouraging and um, they're kind of my cheerleaders and they push me um, to learn more and to um, speak up in client meetings. And so I think that's really helped. Um, and I don't think being virtual has hindered that in any way. Um, so I, it's it's interesting because you talk about career paths and um, that that term actually kind of makes me cringe a little bit because, yes, I like the idea of career paths, but I don't like the idea of timelines because everyone should be on a different timeline depending on their skill level. Um, and I just happen to be working with people who um, believe in me and believe that I'm at a certain point that I'm able to now be client facing and starting to lead clients three years in. You said that one of the advisors has all of his meetings virtually. 
But the other ones, do they still meet their clients in person? Yes. So one advisor, she um, she's actually based out of LA and she only has one client that she meets in person with just because he really, really wanted to meet her in person. Um, but the rest of our, I think, what, 40 clients are, we meet with virtually. Um, but then the other advisor that I work with, he's also um, based in California out of San Diego and he meets probably, let's say 75% of his clients are in person and then the rest of them are virtual. And so when he meets somebody in person, does he is he just putting the notes back into Redtail or the CRM? And then you're following up on that? It depends. So um, it depends on if I'm the associate on the client or not. If I'm the associate on the client, we're actually bringing me up during the meeting on the screen. Um, and I'm actually sitting in on those in-person meetings. Um, if I'm not the associate on the client, then he does the notes and kind of does those associate tasks of putting it into Redtail and those items. Do you get paid differently if you're the associate on the account versus not? No, um, there, I'm on salary, and so it's it's the same whether depending on kind of what I'm doing, but on what you're doing. So it's more of just managing the total hours that you're working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just have to make sure I'm splitting my time kind of evenly between the two advisors that I currently work with. Well, and I think it's so interesting that you just made this assumption that like everybody wanted to meet virtually except for this one client, <laughs> and I feel like most advisory firms would say everybody wants to meet in person except for this one clients. So that that's really fun. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because we're able to work for that, that specific advisor. Like we don't like we, most of our clients that once they join us and they go through the onboarding process, we haven't really had any leave. And it, it's been, it's been an interesting experience because I think because we are virtual and most of our clients live in other parts of the country, um, they don't pick us because of location, they pick us because they want to work with us. Um, and it's a very good personality fit. And I think you couldn't be uh, you couldn't match up as easily if you were just choosing out of the people that are in person. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So, what do the clients look like? Are they younger clients, older? They're younger. So, our average age is actually forty, which I thought I think is a little bit higher than I originally thought it was. But when I ran it the other day, it's forty. Um, but that's because most of our clients are early career physicians, um, so they're just now getting out of residency, kind of in their mid thirties, um, and that, that's kind of our our niche. When you're working with these clients, like, is it a high touch relationship with them as they're going through this process? It is. Um, we we do a lot for them. <laughs> we have a very we kind of call it a we have a very high level of concierge service. Um, and so we're um, communicating if they're buying a home, we're communicating with the mortgage people. If they're getting insurance, we're we're kind of that direct contact for the insurance people. We even have clients where um, we have direct contacts to their employee to their HR people so that we can help them with their employee benefits. So it's very high level service. Um, that we're providing to the clients. And I don't know if that, I mean, I think you can do that in person versus virtually. You can do that no matter whether it's virtual or in person, but it's still, um, that's kind of how we are set up. So, well, and it makes sense with doctors because they just naturally delegate. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like to their nurses and to the staff and everybody else. So like, what does it cost for like if a doctor wants to sign up for your services? So it depends on which advisor. So the two advisors I work with, they have different uh, fee structures. Um, so it really kind of depends on which one. And I guess the, the physician-focused advisor, um, so there's one that focuses on physicians, um, and her fee is higher. Um, so we do a like a retainer fee for the year. Um, if you're under a certain level of assets, then we just do like a flat minimum fee. Um, but then once you go above that level of assets, which we don't have a whole lot that are above that amount, then you switch to, we calculate it based on um, 
I hate saying assets under management because it's it's not your traditional assets under management. We basically look at what are all the investments, including like real estate, 401k plans, anything that we help them with. We do we calculate that and then we do a percentage of um, that amount, but then it's a fix for the whole year. So it doesn't change throughout the year. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like the minimum that you charge for, that she charges, is that several thousand dollars or? Yes. So our minimum right now is at 10,000. At ten thousand mm-hmm. dollars a year, yeah, and, and that I mean, obviously, we change it. So we will work with residents um, who are still kind of going through the residency program, and we'll provide a discount to them. But then we have them on a schedule saying, once you're done with residency, you switch over to our normal fee schedule. And then when people are working with you, like how often throughout the year are you in touch with them? Oh, it depends. <laughs> um, so uh, for the first year, we actually meet with people about every two months. Um, once they get past that first year and we get, you know, a lot of the, um, upfront work done, we switch to quarterly and then, but we're, we're, we tell our clients we're always available. If you, if something comes up and you need us, email us, schedule, we have an online calendar system. They can go on there and schedule time. Um, so we're pretty much available whenever they need us. And so these are all over the country, right? Yes. So we have, oh, if I can remember correctly, I think the last time I ran it, and I think it's changed since then, we were in about 20 different States. Wow. Yeah, and and that includes Alaska. So um, it's it's pretty cool how like how, how it's crazy that we can work with people from all over the place. And we even had a client meeting where um, it was me, the advisor, and then it was um, a married couple. So one of the uh, spouses was in where were they Pennsylvania, and then one was in South Carolina. And so we were able to meet even though we were all in different locations. So one of the critiques that I've heard of virtual planning is that you aren't able to develop like the deeper relationships with clients. Has that been your experience? I don't think so, but I, I've heard that too. And I actually talked to um, a marriage and family therapist here in Houston um, about this because uh, marriage and family therapy or counselors are starting to offer um, virtual counseling. Um, and so I was asking her what in y'all's world kind of why... Or do y'all see an issue with that? Because, you know, in counseling, you want to look at, and even in financial planning, you want to look at, you know, their posture and their reactions to things and um, kind of see the physical reactions versus just the verbal. And her point was, um, we see that the benefits outweigh the, um, I guess the pros outweigh the cons. So they can work with people who are in remote areas that wouldn't normally have access to a counselor. um, And that's way better than them just not having anybody. And so, and that's kind of the way I, I think of it whenever people say that is even though I don't think it really diminishes the real, like the relationship and how, what kind of interactions we can have with our clients, if we can provide the service that our clients want virtually and, and they're happy with it, then I don't see what the, if there's an, I don't see an issue with that. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> well, it's all about finding solutions for your clients, right? Right. And, and I, I think we, we're still, we still do life. I mean, we do life planning and we do uh, kinder three questions and we're still able to have those deep goal discussions virtually. And, um, it doesn't seem to be an issue so far, at least. What I like about your story is, you know, I hear a lot of planners who are looking to start their own firm and to do it virtually. And it's really like a one man shop or, you know, one woman shop or whatever, mm-hmm. but I like it that you're working for somebody else virtually. And I know that that is a huge trend that's happening right now where people are looking to, um, I mean, there's a local company here who they're not young, <laughs> they're, you know, but they had somebody who moved to Oklahoma and she's working virtually now. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about best practices if you were working virtually, whether it is for a, like a startup company that's just structured that way, or even one who's more traditional? 
Well, I guess it depends on if you're talking about um, kind of whether you're talking about working with clients or working with your employee. Um, do you have a preference which one I talk about? Yeah, let's jump to employee. Okay. So um, for employee side, um, I think it's really important to um, – have communication standards. So for me, um, and everyone's different, and this is why it's it's really good. You need to talk to between the employee and the advisor. How do you guys want to communicate? So for me, I prefer like it works really well to do instant message. And so me and the advisors will do like Google Chat all day. Um, and so if we have questions, we send it back and forth. We prefer that over just sending each other emails and bogging down our email system. And then also like randomly calling because because I work virtually, I work from home. So and I and I don't work normal hours. And so I could be doing something that's not related to work whenever they call me. And, and then it's kind of like, oh, I get flustered. And so it's we know how we communicate best. And it's we schedule every time we talk you know, face to face, which to me means um, through camera. <laughs> um, and then we uh, talk through instant messaging. So I think having that communication figured out is extremely important. Um, and then also, you know, not every, and this is kind of something that we're trying to figure out now. Um, I think that every position can be virtual, but I think certain positions are a little bit harder for the advisor to outsource to be virtual. So you know, back office kind of stuff is a lot easier to um, for an advisor to outsource and have that kind of virtual hire versus having someone that's client facing. Um, we've managed to be able to do it with a client facing role, but part of the reason I don't necessarily work with some of the advisors I started out with is because they needed someone in person to be that associate. Um, and so, kind of knowing your personality and knowing um, what can you as an advisor handle as far as hiring someone virtually is really important. What would be the signs that you shouldn't be hiring somebody virtually? So I guess if you're talking like if you're hiring someone that you want to be client facing, if you have um, kind of if you have an issue bringing them in on client meetings um, because you meet with your clients completely in person and you don't feel comfortable bringing them up on a screen, then you probably shouldn't hire a client facing associate virtually. Um, and then also if just if you have an issue kind of doing that, those communication styles where you have to use instant messenger or other ways of doing things other than just poking your head in the door, um, then it might not be very easy for you to hire that, a virtual person. But if you feel comfortable using technology and utilizing other areas of communication, then it's, it's usually pretty easy. What about the person who's working at a firm but is looking to move or, you know, or whatever their situ life situation may be? How would you pitch that to the firm owner to maybe working virtually? It kind of depends. So I actually have a really good friend that's about to go through that. Um, she currently works in Louisiana in person and she's moving to Oklahoma. Um, and so she's kind of been asking me about the same thing. And it, she didn't have to pitch it to um, her boss because they knew it was going to happen. Um, but kind of the idea of that transition. And I think um, you really have to look at what do your current processes look like and can you be virtual with them? So if you're doing everything on paper and you print everything out and now you're expecting your you know, associate to move across the country and be able to do their work, that, that's going to be really difficult um, if you're not using the cloud for your document management system. Um, but if you have everything set up on the cloud and everything set up to where um, that associate or paraplanner can work from home, then I don't. It, do, it makes sense to me that they can live wherever they want. Um, but that, that's also up to the advisor and kind of, um, does their personality welcome that and does it work well for them? Right. I don't know if I, did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's great. 
okay, if it was me, I would say I want my pay to stay the same. <laughs> Is that a fair thing to ask? Or from your perspective, do you get paid more being in person versus being virtual? I wouldn't say so. Um, I would say it like with our, I don't, I don't feel like there's a standard in our industry that's well known. And so it's kind of hard to say. Um, but I would, you know, whether I'm in person or virtual, I, my salary should be the same unless there's a cost of living adjustment. Um, if there, cause we're, we're talking about me possibly switching to me in person now that I'm more going to be in a lead role, but that's still kind of up in the air. But if that happens and I have to go out to California, well, that's a big cost of living difference between Texas and California. Um, so I think it's, it's the same as if you were working in person in Texas and in person in California, that's going to be different. Um, so I don't think there should be a different now. It is different on the advisor side, because if you have a virtual hire, you're not having to pay for um, all the extra things that you would if they were in person. So it's actually cheaper for the advisors to hire virtually than it is to hire in person. But I don't think that should change what you're paying that person. Right. So when I started, I was a 1099 contract worker and not a salaried employee. And I think that's also a different situation. If you're hiring someone part-time, a part-time hire um, to do all of your plans, uh, you're probably going to be paying a higher hourly rate than what you would if you were hiring someone full-time in person. Um, and the reason being is because you're, you're outsourcing um, a specific task and who you're hiring has expertise in that task. And you're only using them for the amount of time that you need versus you know, hiring a full-time employee. Let's talk about the advisor who would be looking to hire somebody to put their plans together. What does the advisor need to have pulled together in order to be able to do that? So the biggest thing with that one um, is making sure you are able to get that you know back office planner um, or kind of para planner, whatever you want to call them. They need to be able to get all the data that they need. Um, so easiest way to do that is to be on the cloud. Um, if you're not, then you have to have some way of getting them the information they need. Um, if And if you're not on the cloud, it's just going to make that a little bit harder. And so it's getting on the cloud. And then do advisors need to already have their processes ironed out? Or can they jump in without that and kind of work on that along the way? So I always tell people that it's best to have your processes in place. Um, but I was also hired without processes in place. And I created them. So it kind of depends on... Um, how much control do you want to have over the processes? Um, and if you're outsourcing kind of plans, um, making sure that that planner is using the assumptions you want them to use and creating the reports that you want them to create. And so, and, th and that also depends on how much control. Do you want them to take full control and just do what they know how to do? Or do you want to control what, what they prepare for the client? Um, so it, it really depends on the situation and the advisor you're working with. How does it work with all of your processes that are in Redtail? The virtual planner would obviously have to have access to those, right? Right. So you would have to give them um, like a red, if you have Redtail, so a Redtail login. Um, and with with a lot of CRMs now, you can actually assign by role versus like just a person. Um, and so that seems to be really helpful if you can say, so this um, virtual hire is assigned to this client as an associate. Well, then like in Redtail, you can go and say, okay, so all of these clients um, have this person assigned as their associate. So the workflows are built out. Anytime it's assigned to associate, it assigns to that person. I guess maybe good communications answer to this next question. <laughs> how do you manage the workload of that? 
you were right. <laughs> it's communication. Um, and like there are times whenever I do have to tell, since I work with two different advisors, there's times I have to tell one of them like, hey, I'm doing all this for you right now, but I still need to do this for the other advisor. I need to kind of balance my time. Um, and it's a matter of being okay with having that open communication um, and not shutting people down whenever they whenever they do that. Um, but I'm in a unique situation that the two advisors I work with also are friends. And so it's easy for me to do that. <laughs> um, but it, it kind of depends because there's a lot of, so, so I don't know, I don't think we've mentioned this yet, but so I work for, uh, with Simply Paraplanner, which is basically connecting um, para, virtual paraplanners with advisors. Um, and there's a lot of different ways you can go about hiring someone. You can hire someone that you want to only work with you, um, or you can hire someone that has ex has expertise and they have their own business and they're working with multiple advisors. So that kind of changes um, the dynamic of the relationship. How much does it cost to outsource uh, to a, a virtual planner, a virtual pair planner? Um, it depends on what you have them doing. Um, if And it, it ranges and it depends on their experience. So it's, it's just like hiring someone like, in the traditional world, what's their experience? Um, what are they going to be doing? If you have a CFP who's been in the industry for 10 years and has a business doing virtual paraplanning and creating plans for multiple advisors, they're going to probably be on the higher end. And when I say higher end, you're looking at you know 50 to $75 an hour. Um, whereas if you're hiring someone to do account paperwork um, and kind of do more of that, the um, I guess operations kind of stuff, um, and maybe just some data entry. Then that's going to be closer to the twenty to thirty-five range, I guess. Um, it's, it's very it, it's it, why, the reason I'm giving you such wide um, ranges is because it, it varies depending on experience, um, whether they're like a CFP or you know a registered paraplanner, um, and just kind of how long they've been in the industry. And so, will people do just like flat rates? Like, if they're going to make a plan for somebody, will that just be X dollars? Like, is that an option as well for some? Paraplanners, I think it is. Um, we have kind of seen a trend with, um, you know, the virtual paraplanning com community kind of moving away from that. And the, we're seeing a lot of people setting um, like minimum hour requirements. So saying, if you decide to work with me, so I'm a, I own my own business as a virtual paraplanner. I work with multiple advisors. If an advisor wants to hire me to create plans for them, um, then I'm requiring that they have to pay me at least five hours a week. And the reason people are doing that is because people would hire them and then they would kind of decide, oh, well, I'll use you this week, but I'm not going to use you for the next three weeks. And then I'll use you again in a week after that. And it was just really inconsistent. And, and that doesn't really work well whenever you're trying to run your virtual paraplanning business. Right. No, that makes sense. But I, I do know there are some people that still will charge just like on a plant, like just to do a plan. But the other inconsistency with that is every advisor, what they call a plan is different. So you could have one that you're doing like a, a 50 page plan, or you could have one where you're doing a one page plan. And so there, there's some inconsistencies in there as well. For the amount of time that it takes as well. To... Right. Mm -hmm. So if somebody wanted to find a pair planner or even, I love the idea of somebody who's listening being like, oh, this would be a great way to outsource some of the work that they're doing, <laughs> um, even though they work for somebody else. Where where can people go to find find pair planners? I don't know if I'm allowed to do a plug in here, but it's- Please do. Simply yeah. pair planners. So that, that's what we do is we connect virtual pair planners with advisors. You can also, um, you know, we, the, one of the advisors that I work with, we just hired a client service associate to take some of the, the those tasks off of my plate. And we basically just posted it on Facebook. Um, and we, we got, I think 
like 10 applicants and ended up with a really awesome CSA. Um, so it, it's who you know, social media, and then also using things like, you know, the job board that we have on Simply Paraplanner. Well, do you have any other tips or thoughts for somebody who is interested in pursuing this virtual planning route? Yeah, I mean, I, for me, it, it's been probably the best thing I could have done. Um, I had a really hard time when I first got into the industry finding my place. Um, and I got really lucky that I came across these advisors that I fit in really well with. Um, and I was able to test the waters. So it's kind of one of those things where if you're not sure where you want to go in the industry, um, I think it's a really good way to kind of figure out what do you enjoy doing um, by doing kind of this virtual work for maybe multiple advisors or even just one advisor and just kind of figure out um, what are the tasks you enjoy doing. And I think that that's helping a lot of people kind of find their place in the industry um, rather than trying to go work for a traditional firm and finding out that they don't want to work with those types of clients or um, they don't fit in well with the company. It, it gives you a little bit more um, flexibility in figuring out where you want to be. If somebody's graduating college right now and it's just like, I'm interested in this, where do they go to build their network? I think it's kind of like traditional. You do traditional networking and then also joining different groups online. Um, you know, there's... Um, you know, FPA Activate, there's the XY Planning Network has their own Facebook page. There's Simply Paraplanner that they can join. There's a lot of things online if you're wanting to do that virtual route. Um, and then, you know, what my um, partner in Simply Paraplanner, she met the advisor she works with at a conference. So there's still that traditional networking that you can do. Um, but then there's also the online networking now that, you know, things are becoming more and more um, online. Well, and it would make sense if you want to do a virtual planning to meet people virtually yes, yes. <laughs> yes. in person as well, but, <laughs> but also the virtual. So you had alluded to the fact that you are looking to become a lead advisor. So what does the future look like for you? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> We're still figuring it out. Um, I, as, as you've already mentioned, my, my path has been, um, an interesting path and it's been a very fast path. Um, and I think that's just because of the nature of working with startup firms um, things could either go down really quickly or they can go up, they could go um, faster. And so as of right now, we're looking at 2018, me starting to kind of take on some more responsibility and taking on some clients of my own, not necessarily completely by myself, but just kind of leading the relationships. Um, and eventually I will have to kind of, go down to working with one firm and um, just capacity reasons and then also kind of marketing reasons. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, we're still, we're still figuring it out and it, it's constantly, um, things are constantly changing because we're, we're growing very quickly. So it'll be interesting six months from now where, where I'm at. <laughs> well, I hope these firms are like bidding against each other to get you to say <laughs> Yeah, I, they don't talk about it right in front of me, so I'm not sure how they. <laughs> but they do both try to convince me to move to either because one's in LA and one's in San Diego, and they're both kind of like, "You should move here." So, so you ex you expect that you'll likely be moving in the future? I, I do, um, and it has nothing to do with um, like. So one of the advisors that she works completely virtually, she's she's told me she goes, "If you do work with me full time, like there's no expectation that you come and work with me in person because we actually work very very well virtually." Um, that would be more for kind of, um, I guess, extra experience and extra learning, if you want to look at it that way. It's just kind of like if I'm in person, then we can sit right next to each other while we're, while we're going through an analysis and talk about it. Whereas right now, we have to kind of like put it aside and then talk about it on our weekly call. Um, so it could just, you know, 
increase, I guess, my path or make my path even faster. Um, but there's no need for me to meet in person, but more than likely I will be. <laughs> oh, that, that's so interesting. You start out virtual and then you end up in person, even though you, you may not have to. But. Well, and it may be one of those things where I go in person for a year and then I end up going somewhere else, like not, not, not changing jobs, but staying with them, but moving. Cause my ideal world would be to live in Colorado. So I may end up there one day. It's kind of, there's so many different paths I can take because we are capable of being virtual. Well, and I just love it that within financial planning, like you really can find like your career path and what is, what really fits you best. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting because I've, I've actually met, you know, doing this virtual para planning thing. I've met a, a lot of people doing this and kind of networking within this world. And there's a lot of people who really enjoy doing financial planning, but they don't enjoy being client facing. So this is kind of a perfect job for those types of people. Um, they, they really enjoy the analysis and putting things together and making things look good. But when it comes to actually presenting it, they, they don't really want to do that. And they don't really want to interact with clients. Um, and I think there's a lot more people out there that are like that than we realize in the industry. But traditionally, it's always been, oh, you have to go through this whole traditional path where you're doing the background stuff. And then eventually, you're going to be expected to be client facing because we want you to bring in more clients. Um, but a lot of people have found that they can do the background planning without having to be pressured into being client facing by doing this virtual para planning kind of stuff. And like you said, if that's where you want to stay, like that's great, but you could also advance if you wanted to do something different later. Like right. what I love about your career path or your, <laughs> maybe not career path, whatever <laughs> phrase that is, <laughs> is that you just keep learning and evolving as right. a professional. And like, that's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's interesting because like I when I when I fully explain the path I've taken, it's everyone thinks it's so crazy. But if you really think about it, it's actually pretty close to the traditional path. But it was just much faster, and it's done virtually. Um, and and that's not to say so. There are a lot of other people who are doing this virtual para planning thing. That that's what they want to do. They want to be virtual para planners. They don't want to be client facing. They want to do the background stuff. Um. So so I've kind of taken. I started as the background person and I've kind of worked my way up like you would on a traditional firm. So there's a lot of different paths you can take in this industry, and I think it's it's, it's just so exciting to see how things have changed even since I graduated three years ago because I didn't think this was possible when I graduated. Um, and there's so many more things that are possible now, and it's just really exciting to watch. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about working from home. Okay. <laughs> As somebody who does work a lot from home, mm-hmm. what are your like tips on making that work out well for you? Because I know a lot of people really struggle with that. For me, um, and this isn't something I'm always successful with, <laughs> but I will say having um, kind of a schedule does really help. So um, for me, I actually realized over the past couple months, because um, I, I actually just moved out of a family member's house into my own place. And that's when I really needed a schedule because I'm now living by myself and working mostly from home. Um, and so I, I figured out a morning schedule that helps me kind of get my mind right. Um, and that's really helped. Um, I, I do say, so I did um, join an office space last month. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I've worked from home for what, a year and a half, but I was living with other people when I did that. And so it was very easy for me because I would you know, be in my ho- own head all day and then my family would come home and I'd interact with them and I'd have my social time. Um, now that I live by myself, I had to find somewhere else to work because I'm, I'm just a social person. So I needed a space to kind of talk to other people. But, um, and I guess another thing would be making sure like your office space 
has its own space. So in my apartment now, I originally had my desk kind of like towards the center of my living room. But then I realized when I sat down on my couch and wanted to look out my window, which looks out on a forest, I couldn't see my forest because my my desk was in the way. And I couldn't relax and watch TV because my desk was in the way and I was constantly thinking about work. So I actually shifted it over to the, like the corner of my living room now. And now it feels like I have like a designated office space. And when I walk out of the space and go sit on my couch, I don't have to think about work anymore. So I, I would say that's another thing working from home that I found helpful. Isn't that just a great analogy on life? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> oh, that's great. What advice would you have to the person listening or maybe to yourself when you first graduated college? Oh, that's a hard one. I've, I've actually thought about this a lot. Um, it's anything is possible. And I didn't realize that. And um, I, I guess advice to keep an open mind and anything is possible. Um, whenever I was in school, I was under the impression just because of the nature of the the business back then, which was only three years ago, um, that you could only work with retirees um, that had a ton of money. And um, because I went searching and I kept an open mind and I networked with other people, I found this other world where we work with 30 year olds um, and I do it from my home. Um, So just keeping an open mind is a big, I think would have been advice I would have given myself. There is so much opportunity out there for people to develop their own career path. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned for next week's episode with a young planner who made partner and learned how he helped his firm change how their clients pay for advice. As always, thanks for listening.